What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, April 29, 2015. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio here in Dorchester, Massachusetts. A busy week, a busy weekend. This is the first of four shows I am doing today. Four shows I'm recording. Three Danny Picard shows. I'll get to the, I'll get to why in a second. And then tonight I'm doing Red Sox review on WEEI 93.7 FM after the Red Sox Blue Jays game. I'll talk a little bit about the Red Sox Blue Jays game and the disaster last night at Fenway. Um, but as to why I'm recording four shows today, again, the one on WEEI tonight and three today, because my producer, Pete Needham, who's sitting across from me right now, but won't be in a couple minutes because he's got work to do, is taking off tomorrow morning for the Kentucky Derby. And um, I'm staying home. I can't go. I can't go anywhere this weekend. Uh, but that doesn't mean you won't have the Danny Picard show the next couple days because a couple special guests that I will be recording these segments this afternoon and tonight, Matt Chatham, former New England Patriot, three-time Super Bowl champion. He is going to join me on the Skype phone line to talk about the NFL draft. We will play that tomorrow for you at dannypicard.com, and also you can subscribe on iTunes. And then Friday's show, which I am recording later tonight, will be with Ken Casey of the Dropkick Murphys. Both of those shows will be brought to you by Violent Gentlemen. Make sure you go to violentgentlemen.com today. But, uh, yeah, so I'm recording, and I'm doing this show right now, this morning. And giving you the Wednesday edition of the Danny Picard Show. So I got these three I'm recording today and then tonight on WEEI. So, uh, Pete, this is the last thing you get to say all week because I know you got to go take off back and do some screen printing in the back. So uh, you got anything to say to the people as as I sit here and we'll you know be what? recording? Not, not so much to the people. I, I do need to get your pick. For the Derby, uh, For the Derby? Yeah. I, I have no it. pick for the Derby. I need it by the end of, by the end of but, today. Well, I'll, well, yeah, I'll you've been you. hot. You've been very well, hot. Well, I guess I'm going to wait till Friday. I know you cooled off No, a I'll bit. wait till Friday's show. I'm which talking will about be... me and you. You need to tell no, me. No, you can listen. You, well, no, you can. <laughs> <laughs> when you're at the you Derby, make me listen, you can huh? pull your phone out, your iPhone, and I know you've subscribed, right? Uh, oh, yeah. I hope. I tell everybody to. All right. I know you subscribe. I got my whole family. And you have to put your headphones in. Make sure you don't listen on speaker when you're down there because then other people will be able to hear the pick. You need to make sure if they hear the pick, they are listening and giving us a fucking download. Okay? We need we need downloads. I'm sure that I'm going to be listening to the show down at the Derby. Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly what you're going to do. On a bachelor uh, party while you're throwing, the Derby. Are you going to be down throwing beers off the guy who runs I, we the— We were just talking about they this. they still have that? We were just talking about this. I have lethal accuracy, and I will probably kill somebody if they let me chuck a bear at someone. Uh, so but they, they, they better have, not. I don't they think they do, do that it at anymore? the Derby. Is they, it the Derby? I thought it was like the Preakness that they did it at. But either okay. way, I know— Dudes get rowdy, so. So are you gonna be? I'm hoping. Are you gonna watch the dares, May? Are you gonna uh, watch the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight at the Derby? Like, do you have already have a place yeah, at so the Derby where you're gonna watch the fight? Not at the Derby. We're supposed to get on a bus back on a. So elite, we're actually going to Nashville, uh-huh. getting on a bus early in the morning on Saturday, going down to the Derby, and then after the Derby, getting back on a bus and heading to a place where we're supposed to watch the fight at. So, 
And it's actually it's a it's a joint bachelor party. Yeah, uh, Celtic and Dorchester unite. Buddies of mine, buddies of yours, yep. uh, Leo Rusk, Ryan Driscoll, right? Two bachelor parties, joint bachelor parties. I wish I could be there. I wish I could go. We all wish. You um, could. it's just it, the show it, must go on. It can't happen. It cannot happen. The show must go on, and uh, the money needs to be made somehow. Uh, in in with the Danny Picard show. So the only way we do that is by continuing to broadcast. Uh, and also this weekend, it's a big weekend for me doing Red Sox pregame shows for Red Sox Yankees inside the Red Sox, uh, excuse me, inside the WEEI studio at Fenway Park. So the studio at Fenway, last weekend I did my first one or two weekends ago inside Fenway, and I'll be doing the Red Sox Yankees uh, pregame show, especially Sunday night baseball. I'll be doing that pregame show inside Fenway Park. So uh, even though I'd rather be at the Kentucky Derby and partying with you boys and watching the fight that night uh, in Nashville and then at the Kentucky Derby, uh, I am thrilled to be able to do Red Sox-Yankees pregame for Sunday Night Baseball uh, for WEEI inside of Fenway Park. But right now, I am inside of Beantown Athletics. Pete, you got to go do what you got to do. And I begin to rattle off now three shows for you today. But again, you'll be listening to Thursday's show Tomorrow, and then Friday show on Friday. But I can't give my Kentucky Derby pick until Friday's show, which means I'll give it later tonight. Right? I'll give it later tonight. And when I give it later tonight, I'm not, I, I can't guarantee you that my Kentucky, see, I felt really good about my NBA picks. Right? And I didn't get, I stayed away. I stayed away from the NBA picks last night. See, I didn't want to get crazy, and you lose one. You know, you win nine. You win nine in a row. That's what I did. I gave one NBA playoff pick a day, and when the NBA playoffs started with the spread, and I went nine and all. And then I told you to pick the Atlanta Hawks the other night against the Nets in Brooklyn in game four, and that didn't work out for me. That didn't work out. So I went nine and one. And I know, you know, a lot of people would try to get right back on the horse, right, when they fall off. But to me, that wasn't the wise decision. So I stayed away until I found a game that I liked. And then I would go on a roll. I, I tried, I'll try to go on a roll again. So I took a look at what we have in these two NBA games tonight as the NBA playoffs continue. And we got two. We got Brooklyn Atlanta in Atlanta, game five, series tied at 2-2. And then we got Portland in Memphis, game five of that series. Memphis leads three games to one. Now, uh, Mike Conley Jr., obviously with the injury, the facial fracture. We'll see how long he is out for, but I, I don't think he's – I don't expect him to play in this game tonight against Portland. That's a tough loss uh, for the Grizzlies. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to stay away from that game. Brooklyn-Atlanta, it, it's been really changing. Nine and a half I saw this morning, then nine. Now it's eight and a half. The Atlanta Hawks are an eight and a half point favorite. Um, I, uh, here's news for you. I know this isn't the most exciting pick of the day, but I'm all, I'm saying away. You want advice? I'm trying to give you realistic advice. And, and I, I hope that goes over well based on the fact that if you want to come to me for a, for a pick for this show, for a pick, at least know that I'm being brutally honest with you about it. If, if there's something I like, I'll give it to you. If there's something I don't like, there's only two NBA games. I don't like either of them. I'm going to I tell you, here's my honest opinion. Stay away. Stay away. Stay away from the NBA games tonight. I told you to stay away last night too. San Antonio Clippers, that game, um, game number five, right, in 
L.A. I didn't know. I had no idea. I picked the San Antonio Spurs to win the series and win the championship. I stick. I'm sticking with that. But I don't. I didn't know. I I wouldn't have been surprised if the Clippers won last night and the Spurs go on and, and win in San Antonio and then win Game Seven. You know, I would put my money on on the Spurs in Game Seven, even if they fell behind three games to two in this series. But that is not the case. The Spurs win it last night. They have a three-two series lead now, going back to San Antonio, and it it is all really because DeAndre Jordan got called with an offensive goaltending call with about four seconds left in this game. Blake Griffin, uh, the, the Spurs had a one-point lead. One, this right, the Spurs had a one-point lead. 108-107. Clip is 6.8 seconds, I believe. They inbounded uh, from right in front of the bench, and they gave it to Blake Griffin. Nice play call. Blake Griffin takes it down the lane, kind of puts a floater up, bounces off the rim. It's bouncing up and down. Is it going to go in? Is it going to go in? Well, we never really got a shot. We never got a chance to find out if it would go in on his own because DeAndre Jordan jumped up and tipped it in and made sure it went in. Problem is the ball was not falling off the cylinder, and you that's goaltending. That's goaltending. When you watch the replay, if DeAndre Jordan never touched that ball, was it going to go in? Yes, it was going to go in. I, that, and, and you know what? That's not even an opinion. If you watch the way, it's similar to the, you know, they made a goaltending call. Remember on SMU in the NCAA tournament, early in that tournament? And the ball was so just chucked up. It was UCLA, right? UCLA? Yeah, UCLA was playing with house money in that tournament, trying to make a run. But they should have never won their first game. I believe it was their first game. The kid just chucked one up from behind the three-point line. And... The SMU player jumped up and caught it, but it looked like it might have gotten a piece of the rim. Now, it was to the right of the rim, and it was clearly not going in. Did it have a chance to hit the rim? Yes, I think it had a chance. The SMU player in that game never gave us a shot to find out, but it might have nicked the rim a little bit, but the ball was never going in. The ball was never going in the basket. It just wasn't. It wasn't going in the basket. They called goaltending, and um, I, I guess you could look at that, and you could say, well, you, you know, you could use the same logic with DeAndre Jordan and say, well, you can't, you, you shouldn't have called that because the ball was going to go in anyways. You're going to take a point away in the game, essentially, away from the Clippers because the Clippers would have taken a lead if, if, they, if they count that basket. Well, I think the difference between the two shots is this. The shot that was thrown up from S- uh, in the UCLA-SMU game, which the SMU player jumped up and grabbed the ball before it even touched the rim, we don't know for sure if that was going to touch the rim. And the one about, the, you know, the Blake Griffin shot already had hit the rim and was bouncing up above the basket. So I do think there's a difference there. I do. But did the refs make the right call based on the rule? Yeah, they made the right call. They made the right call. And I don't know what DeAndre Jordan is actually thinking. Like, I really don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what DeAndre Jordan is thinking right there. Because that's, I get that he's aggressive and he's a guy that, you know, is up on the rim and it's a big play and it's a huge shot because it's the, basically the game-winning points. But you got to make sure that ball is falling off the rim and falling away from the cylinder before you decide to tip that. And he did not make, 
He did not make a wise decision. Uh, Clippers lose this game because of it, and the Spurs take a 3-2 series lead. And uh, that's the way that, – that series now going back to San Antonio, I would pick the Spurs to close it out. I would. I'd pick the, I, I would pick the Spurs to close it out um, in six games. And if they do, which I expect them to, they now move on to face the Houston Rockets because the Houston Rockets last night beat the Dallas Mavericks 103-94. to The Rockets close out that series in five games. Um, we already have Golden State. They swept New Orleans, so they're waiting around to see if Memphis can close this series out tonight. And then over in the East, as I mentioned, Atlanta, Brooklyn, that series tied at two. Their game five will be tonight in Atlanta. And uh, the winner of that series will, will play the Wizards. The Wizards are waiting around to see who they play. And then Cleveland is waiting around to see who take, who they play. The winner of the Chicago-Milwaukee series. Um, that The Bulls lead that series three games to two. That game six will be tomorrow night, Thursday night, at 7 o'clock in Milwaukee, but I expect, I expect the Bulls to show up in all phases of the game, and I would, I don't know, right now, the spread can obviously change, the spread can obviously change in the Bulls-Bucks game six that is going to be in Milwaukee, but if I had to put my money on it right now, what the spread is right now, three and a half, this is a game I think I would consider taking the Bulls. I do. I think the Bulls have a statement to make. I think uh, they will make it. Uh, obviously, a poor performance in the last game. And I just I can't see Milwaukee forcing a Game 7 here. I think talent will be the main factor. And I think the Bulls just have too much of it uh, to, to get forced to a Game 7 in this series against this Bucks team. I'm going to take the Bulls to win that one. We'll see what happens with the spread. So, you know, as of right now, stay away from it. I'll get to it, uh, to you know, what, whatever the spread could change to, uh, then maybe we, we, we will change the pick. But if you ask me, if you're putting a gun to my head right now, and you're saying you need to make a pick on this game, Bulls-Bucks, Bulls minus three and a half, I think the Bulls, I think the Bulls are going give to them, give them a game, and not just give them a game, but beat them by more than three and a half. That's, that's the way I'm looking at it, which would set us up for a second-round series between the Cavaliers and the Bulls. And there is news out of the Cavaliers' camp and that is that Kevin Love is going to be out now, most likely for the rest of the playoffs. That's what they're saying. It's, it's highly unlikely he returns for the postseason. Now, Cavaliers fans are obviously upset with this, as well they should. This is a big loss. As much as I've sat here and said, I do not want the Boston Celtics to go out and get Kevin Love and acquire Kevin Love. I've made it very clear. That has nothing to do with his on-the-court talent. It doesn't. It does not. I, I get how talented Kevin Love is. I get the type of rebounder he is. I get that he spreads the floor out, spreads the defense out, and makes you cover him behind the three-point line, and he can hit that shot. I get it. He's a double-double guy. I understand what Kevin Love brings to the table, what he brings to the court, especially for this Cavaliers team that looks to open the lane for a guy like LeBron James or even Kyrie Irving, right? I understand all that. I understand what he does. I get his talent level. Whenever I knock Kevin Love in the last couple months and the last week, it has not been because of his talent. It's been basically because of his personality. I hate Kevin Love's personality, and I guess I wasn't paying enough attention to it when he was with the Timberwolves, but what I've seen out of him in Cleveland has just been a pathetic, 
personality and some pathetic reactions to some things that uh, I thought he would be able to handle a little bit better based on the fact that him and LeBron James wanted to join forces in the first place, right? And the fact that this isn't the first all-star player that LeBron James is joining forces with, you look around, is anybody else having a problem with LeBron James? No. So, uh, as much as I don't like LeBron's social media antics with regards to calling out Kevin Love on Twitter or even Instagram with these subliminal messages, you know, click up, fit, you know, don't fit out, you know, fit in, whatever the whatever that stuff means, as much as I don't agree with going to social media with that stuff, I guess the way I look at it is maybe there's a reason for it. Uh, uh, you know, things, maybe the messages just aren't getting through and perhaps... Kevin Love is, based on the reactions to those things that I've seen from Kevin Love, maybe he is a little bit too sensitive. Now, look, with regards to the injury, if Kevin Love can play, he'll play. All right? If Kevin Love can play, he'll play. So let's... I know that I tweeted something out the other night about how um, I know for a fact there are some NHL players who are playing with more severe shoulder injuries than Kevin Love's. Right, guys that will need shoulder surgery, it's known they're going to need shoulder surgery. They are playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. Um, I know for a fact. And I tweeted that, not, but I, I, I tweeted it not really wanting to knock Kevin Love, but basically try and do my best to defend Kelly Olynyk, Because Olenek's getting threats. And especially now where they hear Kevin Love, highly unlikely he returns for the postseason. Olenek's, you know, taking some heat and some people saying some nasty things to the kid. And I've tried to defend him a couple ways. The way, the tweet that I sent in which I talked about knowing actual NHL players who are playing with more severe shoulder injuries than loves. Fact. Fact. I'm not, like, that's not, that's not me knocking love. That's me just telling you facts. And basically trying to defend Kelly Olenek for a second. The other way I defended Olenek was basically by saying, I don't think he did I don't think he did it on purpose. I think he created contact on purpose, but I don't think he purposely went out and said, I'm gonna dislocate this guy's shoulder. I mean, again, if you think that, you're clueless. Um it's an unfortunate incident. It's an unlucky situation for love. It's an unlucky situation for the Cavaliers. They obviously could use him. They obviously want him. I think they need him. Um but it's highly unlikely, they say, he'll return for the postseason. Does that mean he's definitely out for the postseason? See, here's what I think happened, honestly. And now, again, this is not a knock on love, and this is not me trying to give my diagnosis for the injury that I have not seen the actual MRI of. I haven't. I don't know the extent of the damage. They say surgery is a possibility. Well, I would think... Here's what the Cavaliers should do. And And this... You know what? This might be... I think ultimately this is going to come down to the player. This decision ultimately comes down to the player, what I'm about to say, is if there's a healing process for an injury like this, which they're obviously leaving the door open to, then in this playoff run, in which the second round hasn't even begun yet, and in fact you still have first-round playoff games going on, there certainly is time for the wait-and-see process with regards to the, letting the healing process take place and not rushing to surgery right now. Because th- these things can heal. Shoulder injuries can heal. 
Um, you can have separated shoulders, dislocated shoulders. They will tell you level, you know, grade one, grade two, grade three, even grade two. They'll say you can have surgery or you could let this thing heal. It, 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 the healing process might take a while. It's different for every person and it's different for, for the extent of every injury and the extent of the damage in the ligaments in the shoulder. It, it's going to be different. But certainly, there is an option for you to possibly let this thing heal on its own. Now, there's always the option that you you give it time to heal, and maybe it doesn't heal the way you wanted it to, and at the end of it, you say, well, you know what? Surgery might be your best bet. You know, you might, you get four to six weeks down the road, you say, you know what? It hasn't really improved. Yeah, the damage is, eh, you know what? We're going to need to, we're going to need to repair this with surgery. That, that decision could come. Um, but I think ultimately right now for the next couple of weeks and maybe even the next month, that's going to be the decision on the player. That's the decision on the player. Kevin Love has an option for next player option for next year. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if he'll look at it and say, if I don't go back to Cleveland and I become a free agent, you know, if I don't have shoulder surgery now and I wait and then I eventually need it. Is that going to affect the money that I get in free agency? Right? Is that going to affect that? Based on the fact that this season for Kevin Love statistically has been one of his worst seasons. Not to say that he's had a brutal season or a bad year, but statistically it isn't, it isn't the best. And you combine it with a guy who might be going into next season with damaged goods and might not be able to start the season on time. This might be stuff that's in his head. This is stuff in the head of a businessman who's a professional athlete. I can tell you that. And and I'm being careful to not use this stuff as a knock on Kevin Love because I will never knock a guy for doing things to go out and get the money and get the big contract. But certainly, if you're Kevin Love, there's a decision that at some point he's going to have to make. Do you have surgery? Or do you have surgery with the thought of, I need to be ready for next season as 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 early as possible? Or do you give? Or do you wait this thing out and risk, maybe even eventually having surgery when it's all said and done, and maybe you ne- you still don't play. They're gonna give it some time. They say surgery is a possibility. Uh, if, if if the Cavaliers want Love to play this season at some point in this playoffs, I think their their decision to him will be: Why don't you wait it out? Why don't you wait and see what happens here? Right? Why don't you wait and see how this thing heals? And if it heals to a point where you have an ability to get on the court and play, then, you know, we get to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, by the middle of that series, which, by the way, is not, that's, that wouldn't be in two weeks. We know how long this thing drags out. I mean, you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals at the NBA Finals, I mean, you're playing until June, you know? You're playing until mid to late June. And it is Wednesday, April 29th. So there is certainly some time here. You, you could take five, six weeks to see how this heals and possibly be able to return. Now, I know they say he's highly unlikely, but here's what I think they're doing. I think, they're manage, I think the Cavaliers are managing expectations. By saying that, they buy themselves some time so that if, Kev, if they, because if they honestly thought that he could return for the Eastern Conference Finals, right? If they if they win the first round, if they thought that, then the original report, then they would come out with, which by the way was the original report, 
that Kevin Love was just going to miss the second round series. That was the original report yesterday morning. And then yesterday late afternoon, it came out that it was highly unlikely he returned. Surgery is possible. Now, the surgery is possible thing jumps off the screen to me, jumps off the page, because I start to think, okay, they man- here's what the Cavaliers are doing. They're managing expectations. Because if you just came out and stuck with the story of he's going to miss the second round of the playoffs, and then you get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and it turns out he's not ready yet, and he might not be ready till the NBA Finals, then what do you do? You essentially threw him under the bus, and now he looks soft, right? Now Kevin Love looks soft. Oh, he's not ready to go yet. Oh, he can't play yet. So I think you're managing the expectations of the fans, of the media, of people that will maybe knock Kevin Love if he doesn't return. Um, bottom line is, if it, look, if he can play, he'll play. That's the way I see it. But I also think that there's a decision he has to make where Kevin Love could be sitting there today going, I know they want me to wait, but if I wait six weeks and it turns out I still can't play and I have surgery in seven, eight weeks and I still don't play, you know, that sets me back a little bit this offseason. That sets me back next year. And if I'm not going to come to Cleveland, if I'm not coming back to this place, That might affect my contract situation. That might affect my free agency and the money I could get. So why would I wait? Why don't I just have the surgery now and end it? You know? And think long-term of my career, being a kid in his mid-20s. I have a long career here. I have some big contracts to make. This is a business. I need to become a businessman. And business decision is, if if we all think I'm eventually going to need surgery, let's just do it now. That I, I look the thought of that. If you're a Cavaliers fan, you might cringe, but I think that that's the business side of it. I, I can't knock someone for taking the business side, but you know, you if you're a Cavaliers fan, you would you would maybe and you know you need him. You hope that he doesn't go that route. You hope that he waits it out. And I tell you right now, I'm going to tell you this. I know they say highly unlikely, but if Kevin Love waits it out and he wants the healing process to begin, I guarantee you that if the Cavaliers get to the Eastern Conference Finals, by the middle of that series, there's going to be whispers of Kevin Love possibly returning. I, 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 I'm going to guarantee that. If he, if he chooses not to have surgery, I'm going to guarantee there's going to be whispers of that. And if there are, that's, a, that's the best thing for the Cavaliers. Even if he comes back and he's not 100%, You know, he's on the court. He's getting minutes. He's a distraction. You could call him a decoy. As we know, his presence on the three-point line spreads the floor out, and it certainly helps guys like LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, who we know can make a living driving to the basket. Now, does that mean the Cavaliers, without love, can't win? (sighs) This isn't a knock on love's talent. I just told you what he is. But the Cavaliers can still win with Irving and, and LeBron James. I think they can win. I think they can beat Chicago. I'll be rooting for the Bulls, but I think Cleveland can still win. And if you ask me to make a pick, if it is the Bulls playing the Cavs in the second round, and if they don't have love, which they won't for that series, can the Cavaliers make it to the Eastern Conference Finals? I'll tell you, yes. And in fact, I would put my, my money on them getting there. I would. I'd put my money on the Cavaliers getting there. And, you know, could they beat Atlanta or Washington without love? Again, I have a tough time putting my money against LeBron James, a motivated LeBron James with, as we see, you have an elite scoring point guard. It, it can really, 
it can really help you make that championship run. But I just I can't put my money against LeBron. I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, and the chances of me doing it, I, I, I slumped it on. They're not going to happen. So that is what it looks like in the NBA playoffs. Again, two games tonight. My advice is to stay away from it. Outside of the playoffs, there is another NBA story. Billy Donovan talking with the Oklahoma City Thunder about the head coaching gig. About the head coaching gig. Um, They're going to bring the college coach from Florida, Billy Donovan, in to coach the NBA team. How does Kevin Durant feel about that? I know that Billy Donovan is a great college basketball coach. Um, and I think when you say that, you also have to say a great recruiter. But uh, is he going to be a great NBA coach? That doesn't translate into great NBA coach. And to be honest with you, I never thought the Thunder should have fired Scott Brooks. So I'll wait and see where this one goes. But that's the story he, Billy Donovan, is talking with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the Kevin Durant story is certainly something we need to keep our eye out for. Uh, and listen to, and I think we'll be hearing about some things this entire offseason um, because Kevin Durant, as we know, is going in to the last year of his deal. So there's your NBA update for the day. It's going to be a long day. I got this show today. Uh, I'm recording Thursday's podcast later on, and I'm recording Friday's podcast later tonight, and then even later tonight after the Red Sox game, I'm hosting Red Sox Review on WEEI. So I will not be in studio technically the next couple days, but you will be able to get brand new podcasts. Uh, One tomorrow leading up to the first round of the NFL Draft with Matt Chatham, former New England Patriot, former Super Bowl champ. Well, not former Super Bowl champ. He is a Super Bowl champ. In fact, a three-time Super Bowl champ. And then on Friday, Ken Casey of the Dropkick Murphys, um, also now has his own boxing promotion. And in a big boxing weekend, this is a huge boxing weekend. This is the biggest boxing weekend we've had in a long, long time. I wish I could be broadcasting from Vegas. I am not doing that. So you got that fight. You got the Kentucky Derby. You got the Red Sox-Yankees that I told you here at Fenway. Um, and I'll get to the Red Sox in just a second. You got the NFL Draft, round one Thursday night, and the rest of it over the weekend. NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. But don't forget about, and I tweeted this this morning. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Don't forget about the WGC Cadillac match play in San Francisco. Don't forget about that. The World Golf Championships Cadillac match play. This is, and I, and I get that golf talk might not be up your alley. So I never sit here and break down every single tournament. You know, we talk Masters when it happens because it's a big tournament. I'll talk about the major tournaments. If there's a storyline with one of the top dogs, uh, if, there's a, if there's a McElroy story or a Spieth story, heck, Tiger Woods is still a huge name, and he had a good tournament at Augusta a couple weeks ago. If he's in the news, we'll talk about it. I don't break down every tournament, but certainly uh, one of these tournaments that I think, which is not a major, that is newsworthy, that should that that I think is different for the if if you're somebody that that doesn't watch golf or let's call I'll say if you're not a season ticket holder to the PGA Tour 
Like, if you don't sit there and watch golf every weekend, which, which I don't really expect you to do, but let's say every once in a while you got nothing to do on a Sunday and, you know, you want to watch the last couple holes for a couple guys that are, are battling for a, for a, for a first-place finish. Uh, I, you do that. Or maybe you'll watch um, Sunday at a major. You're not really a season ticket holder, right? You watch the exciting events. And you follow the, the, the exciting, the big storylines, the major storylines. You're not a season ticket holder. If you're not a season ticket holder, I think that this weekend's match play, which they have once a year, is one of the more interesting weekends in golf because it's a different format. Match play is, and this is what it used to be. They're changing the format a bit this year, this weekend, which begins today, by the way. It always begins on Wednesday, right? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's a five-day tournament. But here's what it used to be, the match play. It used to be 64 players, and it still is 64 players. But again, the format's different. But it used to be 64 players, top 64 players in the world. And it's sort of like, not sort of like, it is like the NCAA tournament brackets. You get match play. So you get, Mac, like, for instance, McElroy versus Jason Duffner. That's going to be uh, round one in group one here. You would have that match on Wednesday. And the winner of that match, you go hole for hole. Whoever wins the most holes that day moves on to the next round, to the group of 32. Whoever wins that moves on to the Sweet 16. It's a bracket. And you got to win that 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 day, that round, against that other golfer. What it is this year is a little bit different because in the past, you know, if you're McElroy and you show up and you, you are facing Duffner on Wednesday afternoon, Jason Duffner, even though Jason Duffner is ranked 56th in the world, we know the, we know the guy can play. We know he's won tournaments before. Let's say he has a day for himself and McElroy struggles. Well, McElroy's out. And that's it. That's it. That isn't necessarily good for the brand, and that ne- isn't necessarily great for the sport, for people who might want to tune in to watch Rory McIlroy. Um, so they're going to change the format a little bit. Instead of just a bracket of 64 single elimination, like the NCAA tournament, where they go 64, 32, 16, 8, 4, and then a championship round, They're going to give you 16 groups, 64, the top 64 golfers in the world still, still will play this weekend in the match play uh, tournament. It begins this afternoon on Wednesday afternoon. You're going to get 16 groups of four golfers in each group, and it's going to be a round robin tournament. So for example, at four o'clock today, Bubba Watson will face Jimenez. And is it, is it Jimenez or Jimenez? We haven't figured that out. Everybody says it differently. So, Watson versus... How about this? We'll go Jimenez. Jimenez. Bubba Watson will face Jimenez. They'll tee off at 410. Louis Oosthuizen will go up against Keegan Bradley at 420. That's group four. Um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. These guys will all face each other by the end of Friday. So, Watson, tomorrow... I, I don't know the actual schedule... But he'll face, on one of those days, Oosthuizen. And then on the, the next day, he'll face Keegan Bradley. That's the way it's going to work. And whoever, basically, whoever does the best out of those matches 
we'll move on to the final round of 16, which begins on Saturday. So you'll get you basically you'll and then in the final round of 16 on Saturday, what you'll then have is the you know that'll be the match play. Bottom line is hole for hole, whoever has the most holes, you win, you move on to the elite eight. That's it. But it begins with a round robin style, a round robin format, which is different. In the past, it was just top 64, single elimination, that's it. You get, a, you get beat on the first round, you're done. You're going home. You're not playing again. That's the way it worked. But now it's going to work a little different, and I think that's good. I see, I, th- I think it's good. I, I, I'm, I'm undecided on overall if it's what's best because I did like the drama of the you, got, you either win or go home, even on day one. But I also can understand, I also can understand the temptation of wanting to see everybody for the first three days. And that's what you're guaranteeing now in this new round-robin format. You're guaranteeing that you see Rory McIlroy for three straight days. It's a guarantee. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, McIlroy will be playing in this tournament. Where, in the past, perhaps he has a tough day on Wednesday, and that's it. It's over. You're guaranteeing you're seeing these guys. And I do think that that is, that's a good thing for the sport. That's a good thing for the tournament, right? But what, what I also thought was good was the, the intensity of even on Wednesday being a must-win match against somebody else, right? Of the possibility of that 16 seed beating the one seed like NCAA March Madness, eh, that kind of, that's kind of lost its luster. You won't get that until Saturday now. You won't get that type of drama maybe until Saturday. So, I, I, I'm a, I need to see how it plays out. It's the first time they're going to do this. I need to see how this plays out before I completely judge whether or not I like the new format. As I told you, I like things about the old format, and I like things about the new format. So, I have mixed emotions. How do I actually feel about it? And what will be my end result um, decision on whether I like the like the new format or not? I'm going to wait and see till it plays out. I'll, I'll let you know on Monday how I feel about it. Working on a special guest for in-studio on Monday as well. So, um, I'll keep you updated on that. But you can't forget about the match play this weekend. Um, basically, it's gonna you're going to have to play seven rounds of golf between today and Sunday to win this match play, where in the past, when you just did the single elimination, you know, 64 guys and uh, the brackets, like NCAA tournament, you only needed to play six rounds to win. So instead of six, you got to play the extra round because of the round robin uh, that you have. And, but, I mean, it, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. The fact that you had another round, it's another round of golf. Um it's an, the match play is exciting. Unfortunately, you don't get the official match play like I like it until Saturday. But again, I'll I'll wait and see how it plays out before I completely judge. Certainly the way they're going about it the round robin is better for the sport with regards to guaranteeing us that you'll be able to see someone like McElroy play for three straight days. It's a guarantee. Not to say that he wouldn't have won a couple rounds anyways if they did it the old format. But it's not guaranteed. At least now it's guaranteed. McElroy will be playing today. He'll be playing tomorrow, Thursday, and he'll be playing on Friday. Will he be playing Saturday, Sunday? We'll wait and see. The top guy in each group advances to the final round of 16, which will then be brackets and really single elimination 
there. So big weekend. Um, what else do we got? We got anything else? Am I missing anything else? No. Red Sox, Yankees. As I said, I'll be on WEEI over the weekend from the Fenway Park WEEI studio, which is exciting for me because Red Sox-Yankees is a huge rivalry. Now, if you look at the standings today, the Yankees enter the day in first place with the 13-8 and record, two games ahead of the Rays, two games ahead of the Red Sox. The Yankees did get some bad news last night. Masahiro Tanaka will go on the 15-day DL and I know they say 15-day, and you say, well, that's really not a long time. But if I listen to what the injury is, forearm, uh, wrist, right, uh, that you don't like to hear that stuff. Uh, I just You don't like to hear that. And Tanaka, you know, we talk about the UCL a lot with him and that injury. Uh, they say 15-day DL right now, but would you be surprised now that you finally hear it? And now that he's finally put on it, would you be surprised that, that maybe there's more to come with this? I know I wouldn't be. Uh, Yankees should hope that that's not the case. They are in first place right now. They got a dominating bullpen. The Tampa Bay Rays, as I mentioned, tied with the Red Sox for second place. Both the Red Sox and Rays with 11 wins. You got the Blue Jays uh, with 10 wins and the Orioles with 9 wins. Now, an interesting situation today in Baltimore. You got the Orioles and the White Sox. They're playing at 2 o'clock at Camden Yards, and they're playing in an empty stadium. They're going to play in an empty Camden Yards because they do not want to let anybody into this game because they need all the police help that they can get in other areas of the city, and they don't want to have to – they don't want to take any – police officers and use them at Camden Yards, which you'd have to do, and pull them away from some of the other issues that you're seeing now and the chaos uh, in Baltimore that has gone down the last couple nights. Um, This is going to be weird. This is going to be... I I believe it's on TV. I believe it's on TV. It would have to be on TV, right? It has to be. I mean, if you're going to have a baseball game and it's going to count in the standings, I'm not saying it's on national TV, but the local... Like, if you're a White Sox fan, you want to watch the White Sox game. It's going to be on TV, right? On their radio? Uh, Orioles. What is their station? Masson? M-A-S-N? Gary Thorne going to be doing the call for that game? I would think so. You don't need cops to let them in, do you? I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I assume these games are going to be on TV radio, radio for the local aspect of it. So, uh, this is going to be weird. And, and with TV radio... And you have microphones down in the field. I know that we've seen spring training games played uh, in quiet ballparks and with not a a lot of people there, but there's still people there. There's still some noise. I heard that they're not even going to use walk-up music for these guys in this game. They're just going to play it and get it over with. It's just awkward. I I get the... I understand the the reasoning behind not letting fans in. If you can't have cops there, you, you obviously can't have any police at the stadium. You, you know, you, you can't let anyone in. But I guess my question is, why can't you have police there? I know that, and again, I, I, I know what's going on in Baltimore. But at the same time, I mean, if you have a ticket to the game, you have a ticket to the game. Um... And to me, I guess I look at a baseball game, and with all the stuff that's going on in Baltimore, 
as if maybe that could be some type of escape or some type of getaway for some people. Because let's face it, as much of the footage that we see in Baltimore of these just absolute idiots um, looting and rioting and causing fires and, and cutting the ho- fire hoses for the firemen. I mean, how stupid is that? How stupid do you have to be to cut a hole in a hose for a fireman? I mean, you have a beef. You know, the reason that you're trying to prove you're doing this is because you have a beef with police. How stupid do you have to be to know that, uh, you know, you're not cutting the hose of a cop? And and first of all, I, the, the reason that they're doing this, most of these people aren't even doing it for that reason. They're just doing it to, to do it. Right? They're just out there riding to, to riot. So that they're able to go into a store and loot and steal and create chaos and light fires. And, th- and they now have an excuse to be able to throw a rock at a cop. Or they think they do. It's foolish. What's going on right now in Baltimore? Um, I can understand anger, but rioting? I, I, that doesn't solve any issues. It doesn't. I mean, you know, you heard the Ray Lewis piece. And... It, whatever, say what you want about Ray Lewis, about his history, about his life, um, about his background, about things that have happened in his life uh, off the field or may have, you know, allegedly may or may not have happened. Whatever. Say whatever you want. His message on that Facebook video, it, he's, he's right on the money. He's right on the money. And with all of that going on, you know, the way I feel about it is, well, yeah, we see these videos in Baltimore. We see these idiots doing these stupid things. But that's not everybody, right? That's, that's not everybody. They're not showing us video Because the videos that I've seen the last couple nights in the, on the news have, have been videos from the, the same, like, two or three areas of the city of Baltimore. I mean, the city of Baltimore is a little bit bigger than, than, than the videos that they're showing us. So it's not everybody. That is rioting. And if it's not everybody, if there's a baseball game that's supposed to go on on in town, I just feel like maybe a baseball game would be a pretty good escape for the people who aren't rioting and the people that might want to take their minds off a city right now that is in some chaos because of a couple idiots. But I guess if you can't provide the the, uh, police to show up to the ballpark, then, then I mean, you can't let fans in. I, I, I think, and this is my personal opinion, that just judging from the mayor's comments a couple days ago, to allow people in Baltimore, a certain area, to be able to destroy things is a complete joke. I mean, she is obviously not the smartest person in the world. So... I, based on those comments alone and based on what you've seen and the fact that, oh, they don't have uh, any police enforcement to be able to go to the stadium tonight, I think that I just think they've handled this poorly. I think the city of Baltimore has just, I, I don't know how they weren't prepared because they, there was stuff going on in front of Camden Yards when the Red Sox were playing there last weekend, right? Saturday. So today the Orioles and the White Sox are going to play in an empty ballpark. It's going to be strange. Um, but, you know, right now, I I guess you just hope that 
they can somehow get back to some normalcy in Baltimore. And um, we'll keep an eye out on it. But I, I, I'm curious to watch some footage of this game. If there's going to be any, is there going to, I don't know if there's going to be. I would assume there is TV footage of it and will be highlights. But that's going to be weird in an empty ballpark. Strange. So that's going down today. Orioles uh, right now are in last place in the AL East. The Red Sox last night, man, man, what the fuck is going on with this rotation? We we knew this Red Sox rotation going in was not going to be great, right? We knew at times it was going to look bad. But I won't lie to you. I never knew that it was going to look embarrassing this much this soon. I didn't. Because it isn't just it isn't it isn't just bad, right? Wade Miley isn't just bad. Um, Clay Buckholtz isn't just bad. It is downright fucking embarrassing, embarrassing. And you know what's even more embarrassing? And I'll give Wade Miley this. Wade Miley, who now twice has got yanked in the third inning for getting his ass kicked on the mound. I will give Wade Miley this. A quote that's coming out of his mouth today is that he says, I've been pitching like shit, and the fans deserve, the fans should be all over me. That's Wade Miley. I respect the way he's reacting to how bad he sucks right now. I respect that. What I don't respect is Clay Buckholtz still using the L word after something so embarrassing last night against the Toronto Blue Jays. And what's the L word for Clay Buckholz? Luck. Bad luck. Luck. Give me a fucking break with the luck. Here's a quote that pissed me off from Clay Buckholz last night after this game. After Clay Buckholz against the Toronto Blue Jays last night got yanked in the third inning allowing six hits, allowing five runs, four of them earned, walking one, striking out four. Again, this third inning, after the Red Sox get four RBI singles from the top four guys in their lineup, or, no, I'm sorry, Bogarts got one of them too in the second inning. Bogarts, RBI single. Mookie Betts, leadoff man, RBI single. Dustin Bedroya, number two hitter, RBI single. Um, David Ortiz, number three hitter, RBI single. 4 nothing Red Sox lead going into the top of the third. What does Clay Buckholtz do? He allows RBI single, RBI single, sack fly, RBI single, RBI single. I mean, he was terrible. It, was, it wasn't just terrible. It was embarrassing. What happened against the Yankees in a second start was embarrassing. What happened last night against the Blue Jays was embarrassing. Two and two-thirds, five runs, six hits, 62 pitches. Yanked in the third. Embarrassing. You know what he says after it? Here's a quote from Buckholtz. says, quote, I don't think there's a lack of work going into it. It's sort of snowballing right now. We have to find a way to stop that. Don't have a whole lot of luck on our side right now. 
The balls that are hit, like I said, are finding holes. And seems like every ball that we hit are right at people. So, got to buy time and just work. Work harder and go after them next time. The sentence, I actually, you know what? Now that I read it again for like the 25th time this morning, I have a problem with two sentences. Because one, he uses the L word, luck, when it comes to himself and his own pitching staff and the results. Two, now that I read this again for the 25th time, there's something else that jumps out to me that didn't necessarily jump out to me when I only focused on Clay Buckles. But this jumps out to me right now. I'm, I'm just, this is just jumping out to me. And this is pathetic. He says in this quote, it seems like every ball that we hit are right at people. I got news for you, Clay. When you went into the third inning last night, your offense that you just said hits balls right at people wasn't hitting balls right at people. Bogart, RBI single. Mookie Betts, RBI single. Dustin Pedroia, RBI single. David Ortiz, RBI single. 4 nothing Red Sox lead. You take them out in the third inning, you get knocked around. You didn't just suck. You were an embarrassment. And you should be up there talking to the media saying the same shit that Wade Miley's saying, which is, I'm pitching like shit, and I deserve to be knocked right now by the fans. That's what you should say. I'd re- I would respect you more. This has come, by the way, to give you a background on where I stand with Clay Buckholtz, there is no one that's ever had this kid's back more than me. You know, when the going was tough two years ago, that whole season, when he began the year 14-1 with an ERA under two, and then he got hurt, and people were rolling their eyes and making fun of him and saying that he couldn't, you know, he, you know, people were calling him a pussy. They basically uh, said that he wasn't tough enough or he just doesn't have the, the physical makeup to be successful in this league. And they continued to knock him at the beginning of last season. Nobody had this bad, you know, honestly, I think I was the only, per- only person in the media, local and national, that had, had the kids back. That said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute here. What he showed us at the beginning of 2013 was pretty special. And there's no way that, that that was a fluke. It went on for too long for that to be a fluke, right? It did. It went on for too long for that to be a fluke. So I, I'm going to let this kid deal with this injury, heal up, and when he's ready to go, he'll be back, you know, in 2014. Now, 2014 came around. Obviously, we know how that went. There was a point in time where even I, Clay Buckholz's biggest supporter, had to no longer defend him because it sucked so bad. Right, it was a point of time where you can't, you realistically can't defend a kid anymore. But you go into this season and you say, well, I mean, he doesn't deserve to be the opening day starter. But I'm not going to get too worked up in that because at the end of the day, that's just the title. And if you look at now how the rotation looks, technically you could look at it and say, well, okay, Joe Kelly pitched fifth in the fifth game for the Red Sox. But now as the rotation has moved on and the games are being played. You can make the argument that the rotation goes like this. Joe Kelly, Buckholtz, Buckholtz, Porcello. Right? Now, Rick Porcello is going to be on the mound tonight against R.A. Dickey, the righty, the knuckleballer, throws a hard knuckleball. You'd like to think that the Sox can do some uh, damage against him. Uh, Dickey just let up eight runs over four and two-thirds innings in his last start against Tampa Bay. And I I think the Red Sox should be able – 
to to get a piece on a couple of these pitches and put them into the monster seats. Right. I think they should. They should put up some runs tonight against Dickey. And Porcello, he's going to let up. I mean, just the Rick Porcello stat line, six innings, uh, three, four runs. But I think the Red Sox, that's a winnable. I think the Red Sox can win that game. If Porcello, to me, only gives up three, maybe you get an outing from him where he gives up two. But the bottom line is this. Clay Buckholtz, forget about Porcello for a second. Clay Buckholtz is a guy who, I'll give him credit, the, the previous two outings started to show me that he was becoming not someone who was reliable, not yet, but someone who was getting close to proving to be at least reliable for this rotation. And reliable, using the word reliable with Clay Buckholtz this season, if you could do that, I think a lot of us would accept it based on what we saw last year and based on, you know, the end of the previous season. I think we would accept being able to use the word reliable in the same sentence as Clay Buckholtz with this Red Sox rotation. The problem is last night, you know, just like that night in the Bronx not too long ago, was embarrassing. It was downright embarrassing. And it's on you. You know, the the guy who's been part of this rotation and this organization for a couple of years now, longer than anyone else in this rotation, it's on you to turn things around and figure this thing out. To figure this thing out. And clearly, Clay Buckholz does not have it figured out. And and it's not just bad, it's embarrassing. And that's why when you when I have to read a quote from him today that says, we don't have a whole lot of luck on our side right now. The balls that are hit are finding holes. That that comment is almost as embarrassing as the performance Clay Buckholz put gave himself last night. So, uh, how does he figure it out? Are we? You're asking me to figure out how Clay Buckholz figures it out? This is this is honestly an answer he can uh, only he can give. Um, I don't know, but what he should be saying is the same thing Wade Miley's saying. Let's face it, I'm pitching like shit, and the fans should be all over me right now because it's not good. It's not good. You know, Dez getting racked. There's getting lit up. There's letting up some runs. There's letting up four runs and blowing a four-run lead. And then there's doing it and not even being able to get out of the third inning like him and Miley have been doing. It's, it's, it is embarrassing. This is beyond sucking in Major League Baseball. This is fucking embarrassing. And they need to figure it out. If you ask me, you want me to get into, I guess, mechanics and baseball on you? Uh, as to how Miley and Buckholtz can figure it out, here's something. Miley seems to have lost his fastball in the first game he pitched against the Yankees. And Buckholtz has never had the fastball that he showed us at the beginning of 2013. Part of the reason Buckholtz was so good that year at the in the first half was because his fastball was 94-95 consistently. And because of that, there was more life on his fastball, more movement, especially on his two-seamer. And because of that also, his changeup was a little bit more devastating. And also, you know, it, it helps his other pitches on top of it. it it's a, it's a trickle-down effect. If your fastball is in the mid-90s, there's a reason why when guys lose the velocity on their fastballs, they say, well, now they got to learn how to pitch, right? And you gotta, you got to learn how to pitch now. Not to say that Buckholz's fastball is in the, you know, 88-89 area. But 
91-92 is not 94-95 any way that you look at it. And I do think there's a difference there. And clearly, to me, when you also can't locate, when you lose velocity and then can't locate it the way you want to, you're going to get knocked around. But there's got to be something that you can do at that point where you say, all right, I got to figure this out, where I got to minimize some of this damage, right? Whether that's scouting report or whether it's just, you know, put location. I don't know what he can do, to be honest, because I've, I've tried to see him pitch, and I keep coming back to why was he so good two years ago? And I keep coming back to, man, he just, he just had life. He had more life on his pitches. He did. And when you have more life in your fastball and, and more velocity to it, it is, a, it is a legitimate domino effect, and the rest of your pitches are going to be that much more devastating. And, and at times, you know, if you can't locate with that stuff, you know, you can get away with it a little bit more than you can now. He can't even, he can't get away, he can't get away um, mistakes right now. He can't get away with it right now. And they can't get out of the third inning, and it's embarrassing. And now we look to Rick Porcello to sort of save the day. I think the Red Sox can put up runs tonight against R.A. Dickey. Porcello, well, you know what? Give me six. Allow three and six, and I'll be happy. I'll be happy with it. And then you got Masterson, you get the day off. And against the Yankees, you're going to have Masterson, Miley, and then I believe Joe Kelly, right? Masterson, Miley, and then Joe Kelly on Sunday night. Baseball, waiting to see what the Yankees lineup will be. But the Red Sox finished this series with the Blue Jays tonight. Porcello, uh, a Dickey. And I think when you look at R.A. Dickey, he's a guy that, as I mentioned, let up eight runs. He, he can be hit. He can be knocked around. And you can put some balls in the seats. And the Red Sox right now, you look at their lineup, and you look at the middle of their lineup and the front of their lineup, they're swinging the bats. They're swinging the bats well. Mookie bets two for five last night. Two more runs scored, two more RBIs. Dustin Pedroia uh, had an RBI and a hit in that second inning. David Ortiz, two for three, two RBIs. Hanley Ramirez, two for five, hit another home run. Two RBIs for him. Uh... Yeah, I mean, and again, this was the type of game where the Red Sox end up scoring eight. But the bullpen, they didn't do their job. You know I'm not a Mujica guy. I've never been a Mujica guy since he got here. I never feel comfortable with him. He balked twice last night. Uh, You know, again, embarrassing. Just embarrassing all around. Embarrassing all around. And you you keep going to the Tozawa well. At some point, he's going to let up a jack. And he let up one last night. Um, this was an embarrassing ball game. You're hoping for Rick Porcello. Maybe he can give you seven. I don't know. Porcello, Ricky, give us seven. And I think we'll be happy because I think the Red Sox will be able to score runs on R.A. Dickey. I do. Uh, there's the, there's my baseball portion of the show. Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. Game, there's a game seven, one game. Game seven in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It is Detroit in Tampa Bay. You want my pick? I'm going Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay Lightning, they win this in seven. They win it at home. Puck drops 730. NBC Sports Network, winner of that game tonight in this game seven, plays the Montreal Canadiens in the second round. Winner of this game tonight will get beat by the Montreal Canadiens in the second round. Uh, The Rangers Capitals, that series series begins game one Thursday night. Madison Square Garden. 
Um, I think I'm going to be in the area anyways. So I possibly could be at that game. We'll see what happens. As you know, with the Bruins not in it, no horse in the race. Um, I've become a Rangers fan, really, because I'm rooting for Kevin Hayes and Keith Yandel to hoist La Coupe Stan Lee. And, uh, you know, buddies of mine. So I'm rooting for them. I might be in the building at Madison Square Garden Thursday night for game one. We'll see. Also Thursday, another series begins, second-round series. Calgary will be in Anaheim that night. Minnesota, Chicago, that series begins Friday in Chicago. And then the other second-round series, Washington Capitals. Oh, no, excuse me. Those are the series. Probably the winner of Detroit-Tampa Bay will play the Canadiens, I would think, Friday. The winner of that game tonight, I would think, would play their game one on Friday night, uh, along with Minnesota and Chicago. So there's your Stanley Cup. Playoff update, NFL draft, first round is tomorrow night, Thursday night. Um, I, I have no idea who the Patriots are going to pick. And if you ask me, I don't, look, I don't do a mock draft. I don't. I don't. I don't come up with the cheat sheet. I've never been a huge NFL draft guy. It just, it just never was something I, I enjoyed to, to look at. I mean, it's not. When it happens, it happens. I think here locally with the Patriots, they never do they they never used to do what I wanted them to do. So I think I lost interest, especially when they would trade down in later rounds in order to have more picks in later rounds rather than try and trade up and get a better player. Um that frustrates you as a fan. That's not like the sexiest strategy to get people interested in your team in the NFL draft. So, and then I covered the Patriots for a couple years, so I was part of the coverage where I wouldn't go, now the draft this year is in in Chicago, right? It used to be in New York City. I never would go to New York City, but I would go to Gillette Stadium while covering the Patriots, and what would happen was the Patriots would make their pick, and we'd have a conference call with that player probably about a half hour after each player got picked. Um, so, so... I, I did that coverage, so I did a lot of I search in bios of the guy after he gets picked, but every single one of those picks, I can honestly say that I, I never knew who the Patriots were going to pick. I never knew what they were going to do. I've never known what the Patriots are going to do. There are some people that, that, that get it right. Like last year on this podcast, uh, and, and he wrote for Boston Sports at the time, now he works for WEI and writes for WEI.com. Uh, a friend of this show, Jerry Thornton, Got it right with the easily pick, with the Dominic easily pick, right? The lineman, defensive lineman, had some knee issues, but the Patriots took him, and Jerry Thornton got that one right. You know, not many people get this stuff right. He is somebody who gets it right. So if you want the correct pick, I, you know, go see what he has to say, but I'm not going to sit here and, and give you any predictions on what the Patriots are going to do with regards to names. I guess if you ask me a position of need, we look at cornerback and say, yeah, they lose Revis, get a cornerback. I would rather see them somehow sign. I mean, I know they signed a couple veteran corners, but I think when we look at the cornerback position with this Patriots team, I think it is what it is. I think these are the guys they're going to roll out. They're going to hope that Malcolm Butler can be somebody that can, can, and you say take a step to the next level. I mean, what's the next level after making the best play of your career and the biggest play of your career? I still think the window's open on his career. I, I'm not sure how what he's going to be for an entire season. 
Not sure what he's going to be if they do make him a top dog corner. We have to wait and see. I'm not ruling out that he's a success. I'm not ruling out that he's a successful number one corner. But I'm also not ruling out that that maybe he never pans out to be that. I need to wait and see with him. Let, let's 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 let the kid play before we make any judgment on Malcolm Butler. But when you lose Browner and you lose Revis, the first reaction is, all right, you need to improve the secondary. Uh, or maybe you go another out, and instead of the secondary, you improve the defensive line. So may, I, I'm going to say defensive line and even offensive line. We know the offensive line is, issues the Patriots dealt with early last season and even at times late in the regular season. You don't want to have to deal with that again. Uh, and, and you know that you can take a young offensive lineman and make it work because they took Brian Stork, the center from Florida State, in what, the third or fourth round the year before, to last year's draft, and he was a major piece uh, to the puzzle for this Patriots team this season. So you, at least you know you can get a kid like that as an offensive lineman early, uh, not early, but I'm saying early in his career, and you you can make him into an impact player the very next season that that after you draft him. So lineman, defensive lineman, offensive lineman, that would be what I would predict the Patriots to do. But I can't give you a name. I can't. Speaking of Patriots, tonight is the three games to glory. 2014 New England Patriots Championship DVD premiere at Patriot Place. I didn't get the invite. No, we don't get the invite here. I don't even know if it's invite only. I have no idea. I probably Even if I was invited, I probably wouldn't go. Um, in fact, I can't because I'm working. But no invite. I'm just kidding. I, I didn't expect an invite. Um, I don't even know if it is invite only. I think anyone could go maybe. But you might want to call first. <laughs> I'm not sure that... I have the right info on that. But it is tonight at Patriot Place, and I I read it wrong. Three games to glory for the story of the 2014 New England Patriots Super Bowl champions, the DVD DVD premiere at Patriot Place. Tonight, uh, if you care, the New York Jets have been fined 100000 for Woody Johnson's Darrell Rivas comments when he was still playing for the Patriots. Uh, Woody Johnson said, yeah, we'd love to see Rivas back in New York after next season, um, you call that tampering. I've seen worse tampering. I've actually, in, in sports, I won't tell you the sport. I won't tell you the player. I won't tell you the city. I won't tell you the team. On multiple occasions, I have seen, I have legit read texts from general managers to players who were on another team telling them to jump ship the next season. I've, I've legit read text messages from general managers. That, to me, is a little bit more sketchy than somebody coming out in a press conference and say they would love to have a certain player play for their team. The text... Now, that's... to me Because to me, that's different. If, if Woody Johnson is texting Revis during the season, saying, hey, here's, we're going to give you an offer you can't refuse, so you might want to set your bar high and keep holding out, or, or, or you know, test free agency... Um, yeah, that's a different story. Look, did he tamper? I, under the rules of tampering, yeah, it's tampering. He'll be fined 100000 I don't get worked up about it because I don't want people getting worked up about um, Deflategate. And even though they did, and they still will, because Roger Goodell says a report, you know, Ted Wells has apparently, he's done all his interviews, and apparently Deflategate, that, apparently this report, the Wells report on Deflategate is coming out soon. In fact, 
It could come out today. I have no idea. I'm going to I'm going to say the NFL a league that loves itself is trying to time this the right way so that they can be in the headlines, top of the headlines. And I don't know that they want to flakegate investigation to to interfere with the NFL draft weekend which begins tomorrow night, Thursday night, right? I don't I don't think they want that to to interfere with it. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to wait till Monday, Tuesday. If I had to pick a date that they release this Ted Wells investigation or leak it to the media, I think they'll probably wait till Tuesday, right? What do we got going on Tuesday? Nothing? Nothing big, right? We'll have, you'll have the, re, you know, the, the Mayweather-Pacquiao reaction Sunday, a little bit into Monday. You get to Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. You know, people will already react to where Winston got picked, where Mariota got picked. Um, you know, we'll have those reactions uh, I think Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. That's when we're going to get the Deflategate report. That's my prediction. But, you know, I, I never wanted anybody to make Deflategate a big deal. And I realized people did. But given the fact that I yelled and screamed and crushed people like Mock Brunel, people like Jerome Bettis, people on ESPN, Kelly Knockies, just stupid stupid fucking report about what happened on the sideline at the AFC Championship game. I crush these people for making this a story when it's a non-story. I'm not going to then see a story like Woody Johnson gets up at a press conference and says he would love Revis to play for his team and there's a tampering charge. I'm not going to then take a tampering charge, right, and tamper an investigation and turn it into some major news story. I'm not going to do it because I don't think it should. And you're right. Just how I felt about the Flategate and what quarterbacks do to their footballs before a game, I think it happens in a lot of places that quarterbacks do certain stuff, and I think it just gets by the whole testing process because I don't think they ever tested for PSI before a game. While I say it happens everywhere, happens all the time, it's not a story, I feel the same way about tampering, as I just told you. And I'm not going to give you the player, the sport, the team, the city. I'm not going to do that. But I will, I've read multiple occasions. I've read the text messages from general managers to players on other teams that are trying to get them to come play for them at some point. Whether it's free agency or uh, waiving no trades, it happens. And if, I'm, if it's just happening in that one situation, something's telling me they're not the only GM sending those text messages out. So tampering, look, it happens. And if you think that the Dallas Cowboys are not tampering with Adrian Peterson, you're nuts. I'll close the show out with this. Adrian Peterson was at the Houston Rockets game last night in which the Rockets, as I mentioned, um, they defeated the Dallas Mavericks, and they end that series in five games and move on to the second round and play the winner of the Spurs and the Clippers. Um, Adrian Peterson was at the Houston Rockets game, and he was asked about the Dallas Cowboys. He was asked about them. And you know what he said? He said playing for the Cowboys would be nice. That's what he said. He said playing for the Cowboys would be nice. Here's what he told 
Dallas's WFAA-TV while in attendance for this game last night. He said, quote, it would be nice. I've got family here. My dad's here. But I'm under contract, so we'll see. Huh. Now, the Dallas Cowboys, excuse me, the Minnesota Vikings, this is what they said. General Manager Rick Spielman said, quote, we can just end the Adrian Peterson stuff. Our position has not changed. We have no interest in trading Adrian Peterson. Now, Adrian Peterson has three years and $45 million remaining on his contract. None of that money is guaranteed. Um, I'm interested to see what Adrian Peterson does. He's telling people that it would be nice to play for the Dallas Cowboys. He's on a contract with the Minnesota Vikings. None of that money is guaranteed. The Vikings say they're not trading Peterson. Peterson, obviously, um, is not in good standing with the Vikings organization. And he wants to play for the Cowboys. And I'm sure the Cowboys would want him to play for them. If you think the Cowboys aren't tampering in any way, shape, or form and telling them, hey, maybe if you hold out, we'll give you your money, we'll give you your deal. If you think they're not tampering with him, you're nuts. They certainly are. And I have a feeling that it's I have a feeling it's inevitable. We're talking about some type of Adrian Peterson holdout and then some type of Adrian Peterson trade to the Cowboys. I think it's inevitable. I think it's going to happen. Is it a lock? Is it my lock of the week? No. Not my lock of the week, but if you want to talk about tampering and getting fired up and eventually a guy going somewhere else, then this is the story you need to watch out for. Adrian Peterson. I I, I, I think it's inevitable. He goes to Dallas. That's it. So, wrapping up the show, I am here five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can also listen on iTunes, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Also on Stitcher, if you don't have an iPhone. Uh, But regardless of what type of phone or tablet or device you're using, you can listen to each and every show on TuneIn, whether they go to the TuneIn website or the TuneIn app. Um, And again, DannyPicard.com. Follow me on Twitter, at DannyPicard. Like me on Facebook. Tomorrow's podcast, do a little NFL draft talk leading into round one with former New England Patriots. And three-time Super Bowl champion, Matt Chatham. He's been a guest on this show multiple times. I'll bring him on again on the Skype phone line. And then on Friday, Ken Casey of the Dropkick Murphys. He will join me. Ken Casey of the Dropkick Murphys will join me on Friday's podcast. We'll talk fights. He's got a new boxing promotion. Uh, We'll get into maybe even a little of his music. We'll talk some Boston sports, some of the top storylines that are out there. So we'll finish up the week on a strong note. And guess what? I'm fi- I'm recording all that stuff today. So I apologize if there's something. I'm going to do everything in my power to be as timely as possible. But if there is something that sneaks through the cracks and makes it a not so timely, don't jump all over me about it. And make sure you listen to me tonight, WEEI. I'll be doing Red Sox review. So I'll, uh, th- uh, this is Wednesday. The next couple shows you listen to, keep in mind, also recorded on this Wednesday, April 29th, but will be for uh, the next couple of days. So officially, I guess, I'll break down all this stuff. I'll break down the fight. I'll break down the NBA playoffs, the NFL draft, the Stanley Cup playoffs, even the WGC Cadillac match play in San Fran and the Kentucky Derby. I will break that all down for you on Monday. Again, tomorrow, Matt Chatham. 
And then Friday, Ken Casey of the Dropkick Murphys. I'm out. Talk to you soon.